following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Well, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Mike. You know, most preachers can't sing. And most singers can't preach, so, you know, sometimes they should stay away from each other. But uh, what a blessing. And, uh, Mike, thank you for the kind invitation to be here with you at Berlin Baptist today. I'm Gary Hollingsworth. Uh, he's already introduced uh, me and my wife, Gwen. We're delighted to be here with you today. Let me go ahead and uh, introduce our, our Bible text this morning. Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, and in just a moment... Uh, and I'll give you a cue when this time comes, but uh, I'd like for you to stand at the appropriate time in honor of our God and the reading of His Word. And while you're finding uh, that passage in Romans chapter 13, uh, let me uh, additionally not only say thank you to your pastor for the kind invitation to be with you here on this day, but let me also just take a moment, and this is sort of the convention, uh, uh, not a sermon here, Mike, but at least a convention a word of thanksgiving and appreciation. You may not think about this uh, on a weekly basis. I, I dare say that you would not. But you're a part of a much larger family of uh, South Carolina Baptists and ultimately Southern Baptist churches. And uh, about 2,100 of us here in South Carolina make up our South Carolina Baptist Convention. And uh, a small network, about 12 churches got together in 1821, uh, a little over two hundred years ago, and we got together because we believed that we could do more kingdom work together than we could individually or independently by ourselves. And so you're a part of that heritage, and, uh, and what does that really mean? Well, it means that this very morning, there are about 3,500 uh, IMB missionaries. As a matter of fact, a good number of them are in Turkey this morning where the devastating earthquake hit. And uh, your president, our president of the International Mission Board, Paul Chitwood, uh, was supposed to be in a meeting with us here in South Carolina tomorrow, but is on his way to Turkey right now to connect with our and your missionaries who are on the ground. I give you that as just one example of those 3,500 missionaries scattered all over the globe, and they're there because of you, and they're there because of us and us working together and giving through the cooperative program and praying and supporting and even sometimes going ourselves. And so that's what it means to be a part of a larger network of churches so that we again can cooperate together. I could stand here the rest of the day and give that convention sermon, if you will, about all of the various ministries that take part and take place because of churches just like Berlin Baptist. But let me just on all of their behalf simply say thank you and I'm glad that you're a part of that network of 2,100 churches. Now, with all of that said, I would like to ask you to stand in honor of our God. If you're physically able to do so, would you stand and allow me the privilege of reading these uh, final few verses in the 13th chapter of uh, the book of Romans, beginning in verse 11. And the Word of God says, And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, 
For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in licentiousness and lewdness, not in strife and envy. But I love this 14th verse. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And Father, would you once again come and bring a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit upon the preaching and the teaching of your word. And may it find a resting place in our hearts and in our day and in our time and in this generation. So Father, that we again might see revival and spiritual awakening that is so urgently needed in our time. Father, may your word and your spirit and your people do its work in us and then through us. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. You know, the, the history of our nation uh, includes many periods of time that we often describe as revolutionary. As a matter of fact, uh, we talk about the birth of our nation back in 1776. We call that the Revolutionary War, the War of Independence. And it again is when we were breaking free of, of British rule. We know that uh, in the late 19th century, and South Carolina was certainly a huge part of this, uh, there was a civil war that was fought that brought revolutionary freedom of those who had been held in slavery. We, we often talk about the Industrial Revolution, about how uh, our country changed from being more uh, agriculturally motivated and agrarian to a, uh, an industrial revolution. And, and uh, in the, the 70s, and I guess really back to the 60s, I, I'm a child of the 70s, went to high school, and Gwen and I met in the 70s, but our country then was in the middle of what was called then the sexual revolution. And sadly, we are reaping a lot of the whirlwind that was sown with the seeds of that sexual revolution back in the 60s and the 70s. The reason I bring that up is that the word revolution simply means a turning point. A turning point. It is a sudden turn or change in direction. Now often, and most often, we probably would think about revolutionary uh, turnings uh, more in a negative way or in a war. Now, a war of independence, of course, was positive for us, but it was a radical change back in the 18th century. But what I want to talk about this morning is a revolution of a different source that we find in the words that we have read in the book of Romans today, and that is the need for a spiritual revolution. As a matter of fact, we sometimes will use this term, a spiritual revolution. Awakening, hence the title of the message, The Awakening That I Believe Must Come. And we're going to dig into these verses this morning and find out why today that there should be or needs to be, particularly amongst God's people and, and the churches that house God's people, a sense of urgency, if you will, about the great need for spiritual awakening in our country and even in the world. Now, you may be following on Twitter, as my wife and I have been doing just the past couple of days, there's actually a revival movement taking place that just started this week that is gathering uh, national attention 
up in Kentucky at a, of all things, a Methodist uh, college, Asbury College, an Asbury Seminary, and uh, it's the second time that there's been an unusual outpouring of the Spirit of God, and it's really intriguing a lot of people who are kind of following this. When that revival at Asbury broke out in the late 1960s, early 1970s, we didn't have social media. It was word of mouth where things began to travel, but this revival, and I'm going to be following it, and I pray that you will follow it as well. I don't have a lot of detail or information, but go online and you'll find some of it, because God is moving in the midst of a group of college students, which, by the way, historically speaking, particularly in our country, we had a first great awakening in the 18th century. We had the second great awakening in the 19th century. We had the revival prayer movement of uh, 1857 that started in all places, New York City. And then we had the Jesus movement. Those are kind of the historical movements of God. But every one of those movements of God have had a couple of things in common. They were always birthed out of deep prayer of people crying out to God to bring that kind of revival and awakening. But most often, they also started in the young generation, high schoolers and college students. So I'm encouraged by what I'm hearing today up in Kentucky. Let's pray that it will just slide right down here to South Carolina and begin to invade our country. That is exactly what we're really talking about today. Now, in this book of Romans, by the way, um, the first part, the first half, if you will, of the book of Romans, really, the Apostle Paul, in writing, deals with some great doctrinal issues that are very important to us, that we need to understand those. He deals with things about, like, the depravity of our sin nature. These two beautiful baptisms that we've seen today is a reminder of those waters become a symbolic and visible declaration, as Pastor Mike said, of an old life, if you will, spiritually passing away, and a new life coming to be. What a beautiful picture. Well, why is that necessary? Because of the depravity, the sinful nature with which we are all born with. And he goes on in those early chapters to talk about what happens after we come to faith in Christ. And how that happens, justification by faith, the atoning blood sacrifice of Jesus, that our righteousness is apart from what we do in the flesh. It is a, it's all of God and what He has done in us and through us. And all of these great doctrinal truths make up really the first half, the first eight chapters of the book of Romans. But then in chapter 9, then to the end of the book of Romans, the 16th chapter, he begins to get real practical and real personal. And that's why our words today, as we think about this awakening that we pray will come once again to America, need to really be sensed in a personal way. And I pray that it will apply to you and individually, but also to us collectively as a church, and quite frankly, even a convention of churches here in South Carolina. Now, before we dive deeply, a little more deeply into the verses themselves, let me also make sure that, that we understand some terminology. You see, when we talk about revival, revival is what happens in, in, the, in the lives of God's people, or in the church, if you will. We think about revival. Now, I grew up, I'm from Alabama, the church I grew up in, uh, in Anniston, Alabama, we used to have 
generally two revivals a year, a spring revival and a fall revival. Some of y'all remember those days, and you'd have a, an evangelist who would come in. And often we use the word revival to think only about a series of meetings, that we're going to meet from Sunday to Wednesday or Sunday to Sunday or whatever. And that, now, that's a revival meeting, but that's not revival. You see, the word revive simply means re, means to do something again, like to repeat, okay? And so revival means to bring to life. Again, revival is what happens in God's people, in our hearts, and in the life of the church. But spiritual awakening is what happens in the culture and in the community and in the larger, if you will, world around the church. And we'll never see spiritual awakening until we first see revival in the church. It always happens that way. And so when we talk about revival and spiritual awakening, while I may seem to use those somewhat synonymously, I, I, I want you to understand there is a nuanced difference between revival in the church and awakening in the culture. Now, back to our scripture. That is a bit of a backdrop. What I really want to do is just walk through some of these verses and sort of under the umbrella, if you will, of this theme is that there needs to be what I'm going to call an acceleration of a sense of urgency in the church, in the life of Christians, if we want to see awakening in our culture. So let me just ask you this question. Anybody in here today believe that we need awakening in our culture? Anybody? I mean... I believe we do. Don't have to look long, do we, to see that we are in deep, deep trouble as a country and as a culture. So, if we believe that, is there something that we can do individually, as a as an individual believer, and also collectively as the body of Christ, to see an acceleration, if you will, of urgency that will prayerfully lead to revival that will ultimately finally lead to spiritual awakening. Well, yes, and Paul, the apostle, addresses some of these things in our text today. So the first thing I want you to see, one of the things that can drive an acceleration of urgency is the signs of the return of Jesus Christ. Go back with me to our text in verse 11. Did you notice that? Paul says, and do this knowing the time and that now is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. What's he referring to there? Well, I believe that these words are in reference to the fact that the day you get saved, the day I got saved, I happened to be a little seven-year-old boy in Anniston, Alabama at Northside Baptist Church. And so I've been saved a long time. And so for me, I'm closer, if you will, to the end of my life than I was when I was a seven-year-old. But no matter when we come to know Jesus, whether young or whether as an adult, the point of the matter is, is that every day we're on this journey and the fact that Jesus came and lived and was died and buried and resurrected and ascended, the Bible teaches us very clearly that we need to understand that He's coming back the second time. Do you believe that? I do believe that. That's the time and the times that Paul is speaking of. We need to understand 
the time is nearer now for him to return the second time than it's ever been. That ought to encourage us on the one hand. It also might need to frighten us if you don't know Jesus. For anybody who is not saved, the fact that Jesus might be coming back again soon should lead to an acceleration of that sense of urgency. That's why Paul says that salvation, not just personal salvation, but that next step in God's prophetic time calendar. Brother Mike, I'm not sure, we've never talked about this, but I for one happen to believe that the next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. I believe that, okay? So Brother Mike believes something different. Y'all correct him. Let, no, I'm just kidding about that. Y'all, y'all can get on him. But I believe the rapture's next. And we're not here to preach about the rapture, but that's what Paul's alluding to here, that this should drive our sense of urgency. I heard a story about a man and his wife, and they had a cuckoo clock. We, we have a cuckoo clock. Ours does not work anymore. We bought it years and years ago on a mission trip, and we need to get it repaired because I always kind of like the sound of that cuckoo clock. But uh, the man uh, one night heard the cuckoo clock uh, going off, and it, it struck 14 times. And he woke his wife up and said, Honey, get up. It is later than it has ever been. I love that story. Well, there's, there's a sense of that, if you will, about the urgency in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. That ought to drive us and motivate us to pursue personal holiness, personal revival, and pray for spiritual awakening. And Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees over in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 3. He looked at them and he says, you know, y'all know, well he probably didn't use the word y'all, I'm kind of, okay, I don't know if Jesus used the word y'all, but Jesus speaking to the Pharisees says, you know how to discern the signs of the clouds, you know when it's about to rain, you can look and you can, you can see all that, but he said to them, but you do not know how to discern the signs, if you will, of my first coming, much less my second coming. And later on in Matthew 24, now Jesus talking to the disciples, and the disciples ask him this question, Lord, what will be some of the signs that will be an indicator that your second coming might be near? Now Jesus gave them some answers. I want you to hear the answers that he gave 2,000 years ago, but see if these don't sound incredibly appropriate for us today. He said it's going to be a time of spiritual deception. He said it's going to be the earth will groan with natural disasters. We just spoke of that earthquake. Time of war, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. I think of Russia against Ukraine right now. False prophets leading masses of people astray with teachings that are contrary to the Word of God. And listen to this one. Jesus said, lawlessness will be a mark of the t- a sign of the time that my coming could be near. We're living in lawless days these days. Do you see? Now, now I, I, I get it. I understand. All of these signs we could have said, well, well those were present 2,000 years ago, and you would be correct. Those, those signs were also um, probably present back in, during the period of history we call the dark ages and when there was just a small remnant of Christians or during the French Revolution or World War II when Nazi Hitler I mean we could we could go back and 
find other times where these signs were present. But let me tell you the one major difference between then and now. This is huge. Now this is a series Brother Mike might want to dive into down the road. And uh, he's preaching through Matthew, and you're going to get to some of these passages. We talked about that. Let me tell you the difference. The difference is that in 1948, Israel became a nation again after nearly 2,000 years of silence and not being a nation. Israel's back in the land. And the fact that Israel is now Israel again as a political entity, not just that there's a spiritual entity, there's a spiritual application of that, but the difference is, is that the signs of our times have never happened when Israel was back in the land since it ceased to be a nation in 72 A.D., just a few years after Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended. You, you got the picture? That's why I think that we're nearer than we've ever been. I want that to just weigh on you a little bit in, sense, in terms of our urgency because Jesus is coming back. Look with me now in verse 12. I'll give you a second reason right out of the text that will lead us to the sense of urgency, praying for revival and spiritual awakening, not only in light of the coming of Jesus, the second coming, but urgency in light of societal decay. Look at verse 12 once again. He speaks here in verse 12 of societal decay. The night, he says, is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness... And let's put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry. And this little laundry list of things, revelry and drunkenness and licentiousness and lewdness and not walking in strife and envy. Now, now let me tell you why this is important. You know who Paul is addressing here? Not the lost world, but the church world. You, you with me? He, he's, when he says us, he's talking about us, those of us who believe. I've, I've, I've long had this little thing that I've said, Brother Mike, maybe uh, you've said something similar, I'm sure as a preacher of the, of the gospel you have, and it goes like this, you know, we should never be surprised when lost people act like lost people, right? I mean, they're unredeemed. And, and why would we expect someone who does not know Jesus to, to have the same morals or the same values? that We, we wouldn't expect that. Uh, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul, when writing to the church at Corinth, said, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, neither can they know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So don't, don't be shocked when lost people out there in the world are living like lost people. They're acting that way. Why? Because they're lost. But we should be horrified when saved people act like lost people. You with me? There's your problem. That's what Paul's saying. Societal Decay is a reality because of the sin nature that is present in us and around us every single day. Which leads me to say this, and please hear me carefully when I say what I'm about to say here. Because you see, there's a fine line between me and you and us as Christians standing firm. We must stand firm upon the authority of the Word of God and what God has declared. Yes, we must stand firm on that. But you see, our enemy is not that lost person who is depraved in their sin 
and simply acting like their sinful nature will lead them to act. They are not the enemy. The devil is the enemy. And they have held that person, are holding that person captive. And so we can, we can approach lost people in kind of one of two ways uh, these days. We can do it this way. With a clenched fist, you're my enemy and I'm coming after you. Now, what they may believe, what they may value, and the things that they may propose, by all means, we can stand against those. But we can either come at the lost world with a clenched fist in anger and we're going to beat you into submission to believe what we've... Or with an open hand. Hey, and by the way, just watch the life of Jesus. Jesus came... He confronted sin very clearly. The woman at the well, for example. He clearly confronted sin, but he also had dinner with sinners, didn't he? He built friendships. He built bridges. And I'm being very, very confessional about what I'm about to say right here, right now. And maybe this is your testimony, but I'll be, I'll be honest. The longer I've been saved, and I just turned 65 years old, and uh, got saved when I was seven, but did you know the longer I've been saved, the harder sometimes it is to make friends with lost people because I hang around with church people all the time. You with me? And, and so we have to kind of work at it to make friends of lost people. Jesus was what? A friend of sinners. And so when we see signs of societal decay all around us, they're there. But that should be a call to urgency, first of all, for us. Live pure and holy lives. Not, not perfect. I'm not perfect. My wife will be the first to tell you that she didn't marry a perfect husband. I love her line. She said that she prayed as a little girl that God would let her marry a godly man. God has a sense of humor. She never prayed for a preacher, but she got she got the preacher. So the point of it is, is that societal decay is very real. What's the antidote for that? You and me and us together living as salt and light in this world in which we live. The people around you ought to know there's something different about you and about me. And if we're caught in some of these sins that the Apostle Paul lists and lays out there very clearly. And remember, he's talking to us. Let us, Christians, walk properly. Not in revelry and drunkenness, licentiousness, lewdness and strife and envy. You see, our, our testimony is the greatest evangelistic tool that we have to a lost world, isn't it? I was in Dallas, Texas a few weeks ago and uh, had a very early flight trying to get back to Columbia. I'd been to some meetings uh, at, at Guidestone out in Dallas. Uh, and um, I, I had a, an Uber... Uh, uh, came to get me at the hotel to take me back, and it was it was about 5:30 in the morning, and uh, this uh, young lady uh, was my Uber driver, and she was uh, had just retired, had spent about uh, retired, had been 10 years in the military. Uh, her her name was Leticia. She picked me up at Dallas Airport, and so you know here it is 5:30 in the morning. I just began to engage her in conversation, a little bit of the spiritual. We had about a 30-minute, 25-minute drive, so we had plenty of time. And plus, I wanted her to stay awake, you know, get me to the airport, so I thought I'd just chat with her a little bit. But long story short, what I found out is that um, her niece had recently 
in a church just gotten baptized and she had gone to the service to watch her niece be baptized. And she began to admit, she said, I've really been thinking a lot. I, I, I don't have that kind of relationship with God. And man, talk about an open door of witness. And I just got to lay the whole thing out there and lay the gospel out. Uh, she did indicate that she had had been baptized as a child but hadn't really followed up, hadn't grown much. It's kind of, you know, I wasn't making a value judgment. The point of it is, is that here in, in the back of a car early one morning in Dallas was an opportunity, but she made this comment. She said, I think I've probably just used an excuse of hypocrites that I've known in the church that have kept me away, and I'm not going to do that anymore. And, and I said, praise the Lord, Letitia. Uh, you're on the right track, and I prayed for her. It's the only time that when I got out of an Uber, I got a hug. I was just letting you know. I never had that happen before. But we just had a little moment there. Why? I, and I, Don't pat me on the back. I was just being faithful to the opportunity. We've got to be salt and light because there are a lot of people out there living in spiritual darkness and they're waiting on somebody to love them enough to have that kind of conversation. That's how we combat spiritual decay. That ought to accentuate our sense of urgency. But one final thing, and we're done, and drawing this to a close. There's one final thing in verse 13. I've kind of already kind of referred to this. I won't read the verse again. But not only societal decay, but urgency again in light of apostasy and apathy in the church. I've already said he's speaking these verses to saved people, not uh, lost people. And so what, what do those two words mean? Apostasy and apathy. Well, let's talk about apostasy for just a moment. Apostasy means that a place may call itself a church, and they may have a preacher or a pastor or some spiritual teacher or whatever. But as soon as they begin to depart from the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God, that church has become apostate. There's no spiritual power, in other words. There will be no revival if there's no spiritual authority and power from the Holy Spirit. When I was pastoring... In Little Rock, Arkansas, we had a family begin to visit our church. And um, they'd been coming for some time, so as a good pastor tried to be, I finally made an appointment and went to, to visit with them, find out a little bit more about why they were coming to our church. I, I found out that uh, this man and his wife, he had been chairman of deacons in their church. And she had led their uh, children's ministry. He had been uh, chairman of uh, several of their committees. She had been very involved in a number of their committee structures as well. Very, I'm trying to say, uh, key leaders in the church. And, and uh, had been at that church a long time. And they'd gone through a pastoral change. And after some months of a new pastor arriving, uh, they began to be troubled for this reason. The pastor went for several months and not one time opened the Bible in his sermon. He never quoted a verse of Scripture. He just told stories and they were kind of, you know, moral lessons, but he never preached the Word. And he stopped giving an invitation. He never gave an appeal for people to receive Christ. And they had gone these many months and I had not seen anybody baptized like y'all got to see this morning. That's a gift, by the way, when you see the baptismal water. So anyway, so they went to their pastor, their new pastor, 
and express their concern about why these changes were happening in their church, and they, they, they weren't being critical, they just really wanted to know. Brother Mike, I'll never forget the answer. So, because they, here's what that pastor told him. Why he doesn't give an invitation. Why he doesn't preach from the Scripture. He said, well, you know, I've been thinking about this. That was his problem. He had been thinking about it. I've been thinking about this, he said. This is a pastor. And he said, I've come to the conclusion that really... Jesus is just an ideal to uphold. Heresy. Absolute heresy. Apostasy. That man filled the pulpit. Well, it was a Baptist pulpit, which is even more frightening. That's what I'm talking about, apostasy. What Paul says. If, if we're not careful during this time, if we're not walking properly as in the day, and if we allow all of these things to come into the church... Not only will we see societal decay, we will see apostasy in the pulpits. And maybe more dangerous, or just as dangerous, because you know, you and I would probably spot that kind of apostasy in a blink of an eye. But now, apathy is another matter. I heard somebody talking, and they said, Well, preacher, what do you really think is the problem in the church today? Well, I'll tell you what I think the problem is. He said, I, I just believe that the the two biggest problems in our church today is ignorant and apathy. And the person said, well, that sounds good, but quite frankly, I don't know what that is and I really don't care. Now, there you go. There's apathy. You know, that's, that's ignorance and apathy. That, it's real easy to kind of get apathetic about the things of the Lord, isn't it, in our lives? My friend, Bobby Smith, who just died two weeks ago, is in heaven. One of my key mentors. We were on staff together back when I was a young man and uh, youth minister, uh, Bobby has said to me so many times, Gary, never forget, you and I are just one missed quiet time away from disaster. I've never forgotten that statement. One missed quiet time away from disaster. Now, I've missed some quiet times, but I don't miss many. You know why? Because I don't trust me. And you don't need to trust you. We need to have our lives saturated with the Word of God. Don't ever think that we've got it. Because as soon as we think we've got it, and we don't need that anymore, that's when the devil says, I've got you. That's apathy in the church. Listen, I'm 65. got two little grandbabies. We're going to Birmingham. That's a big part of the motivation for us retiring at this season. We want to invest in, in their lives spiritually uh, over the coming years. And I'm not retiring from ministry, Brother Mike. I think you already know that. But let me tell you what. I've never been more excited about ministry than right here and right now. You say, why are you leaving? Well, I'm just shifting gears. But God's at work. I'm just telling you, God's at work. Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to get in on that? Listen, a lot of great things have started in South Carolina. A lot of not-so-great things sometimes start in South Carolina. But when God brought me here seven years ago, Brother Mike, I preached then and I'm still preaching now if spiritual awakening and revival in America has to begin somewhere, why not in South Carolina and why not right here, right now? I believe that with all my heart. Berlin Baptist, I want to thank you for being a part of the convention so we can send missionaries. But greater still, who knows but that God might be sparking just a new, fresh revival in your life 
the life of your pastor, life of this church, and the life of our convention. And let's not let Kentucky get too far ahead of us up there. That's all I have to say. And those Methodists don't let that. I'm just joking about that. My, my mother was Methodist. So I have Methodist blood in me. But God's doing something. We need to get in on it. Because we, if we have a chance as a country for the next generation, there must be another fifth spiritual awakening or America or we are sunk as a country. Only God can bring it. Only God can make it happen. By the way, revival never starts in the White House. It always starts in God's house. So let's let revival fires burn in us to see a difference in the world around us. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.